Welcome to A Case of the Mondays, a podcast by 3R Strategy where we talk about some of the most pressing issues facing HR professionals and business leaders. From fair treatment of employees to fostering transparency in the workplace, we'll explore how to create an environment where people don't just have to come to work, but want to. So, if you're feeling blue, tune in and join the conversation so you don't end up with a case of the Mondays. Welcome to another episode of A Case of the Mondays, a podcast by 3R Strategy. My name is Ramiz Kaleem, your podcast host, and today we have one of our reflections episode where we talk about uh, what we discussed with our guest speaker in this month's topic uh, and to answer any questions that we get sent in by our listeners. Um, this month, our guest speaker was Ali Khan, who is the CEO of Shape Global, the employee experience company. This time, we have a very special episode where we are joined by one of our regular listeners um, and are going to reflect on this together. And so I'm really delighted to welcome our guest, Joe um, Gorse. Joe is a, an HR consultant who also runs her own podcast, The HR Detective, um, asking uh, HR questions from their, her speakers and to try and get a, an answer to their the mystery and solve the mystery together. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you very much for me. Um, I'm really delighted to have you on the podcast because I know you are a regular listener and you comment on uh, the topics that we cover and the guests that we have. And like I said, we always take in some questions in our reflections episode from our listeners. And so, you know, let's let's start with your key or a couple of your key takeaways from that yeah. conversation where with Ali we discussed um, how uh, they're really using data to try and gather what the employees value in the workplace. Yeah, so I, I love this episode because it's it focused on employee experience, which is something that I really feel strongly about. And one of the so the first thing um, that I reflected on was um, the purpose that Ali talked about. So he um, recalled um, a, a business leader that um, he'd recently talked to. And I'm going to read it because I've, I've written it down. I want to make sure I get it right. And he said, um, this leader said, most people just want to come to work to contribute to something bigger than themselves. Now, that in itself doesn't say too much, but if you think about it, it's it calls upon the belief so when when employees come to work they they come and they they want a purpose and that purpose should be a shared purpose for the organization for the employees to feed that greater good the the client the outcome the service whatever that delivery model is they're not coming for the product they're coming for that purpose and that purpose will drive it and by by picking up on that, it's it's almost like um, Martin Luther King. I had a dream. I believe, and that's where that statement comes from. That everybody's buying into that belief. If they come to work and are motivated to continue to be productive within the workplace, they believe in what the organisation is trying to achieve, and that's when they get that shared purpose. And working together on that shared purpose, it's absolutely gold. 
um, all, all that can happen is high productivity, high, high levels of motivation, high engagement. Um, so that was the first thing that I reflected on. But then the second thing, um, which I think you questioned him on a little bit to try, try and pull out, are all these little influences that affect employees within the workplace. So we've all worked in a workplace where somebody's colder than another person. So the temperature gets turned up and then very quickly somebody else is too warm and they're, they're taking off the jumper and the cardigan and they're still too warm. So the temperature goes down and it almost becomes a war within the office of who controls the thermostat to get it to that ideal, ideal temperature to work in. And that's been going on for decades, absolutely decades. And it's it does create to the environment and that environment and that work environment and how people feel within it then directly affects how they're going to be motivated, productive within that workplace. And if they're coming into work thinking, oh, well, I've got to wear five layers today because I know I'm going to be freezing in the morning and I'm going to be really warm in the afternoon because there's this temperature all going on. And then you'll have health and safety coming around as well, trying to keep it at the optimum 18 degrees. Um, for for everybody because that's that's a scientific um finding of health and safety of what what is the optimum but that then leads to everybody's an individual so when you look at employee experience you don't look at let's group gen z let's group millennials let's group baby boomers all together it's yes you've got all these different generations all working in the same environment together but you've got individuals within that and all the individuals, even though they may trend a certain way with data, they still have nuances that will help them be more productive, be more motivated and want to achieve the same purpose of the organization. So they're the main things yeah. that I took away. Yeah, I mean, I, I found that really interesting because, you know, it's the sort of, thing that you might laugh off in the workplace where somebody's wearing a jumper or wearing a mm -hmm. scarf and thinking oh they're they're really cold um somebody else a few feet away is feeling really warm um but really the data showing how this can have a real impact on the performance of an organization and i wonder i i guess you know, that could be one of the reasons why so many people like working from home, because you can have just the right temperature for yourself, not have to worry about uh, anyone else. Um, and these are the sort of little things I think we just take for granted. Mm. Um, and, and to me, that was really interesting to say, you know, something as uh, deep as a sense of purpose can be impacted by something as trivial as temperature, uh, because these things accumulate over time and every day you're coming in and you're finding it uncomfortable to, to work in that environment. And, you know, it almost impacts your, you know, is it really worth having this sense of purpose? You know, I have to put up with this every day. So, um, yeah, I mean that I found that really interesting. And then, um, you know, to me, I, I always, I'm, I'm a data person, you know, we're, uh, we're a reward organization. So we deal a lot with data and I think, in HR and in, in different areas, we can often have opinions about different things. And I think if we're trying to drive any sort of change with, um, with an opinion, that opinion needs to be backed up with 
some reasoning. It doesn't necessarily have to be data, but it has to be some sort of reasoning and rationale. And that's why I found the episode really interesting because it was all backed by this is why we think this is important to this group of people. And then it's for us to think about how we use that information. Um, so was, you know, in your experience of working within HR, um, I know you were saying that data is now becoming more important, but do you think that as an HR function, we are using data in the right way or enough of data, or does there need to be a lot more emphasis on this? Or, or is it just us data geeks that are talking no. about this? Yeah, so I I think data is being used, um, but not everywhere. It's very it's very easy to fall back into um, into policy and process rather than be data led in decision making. And I think it's very important to you you, you talk about um, the why um, quite a lot and looking at the why you need data to to inform that why and i think hr in in my experience and hr organizer or hr teams that i've worked with they are using more data but not necessarily in the right way it's very easy to to uh, and i think ali picked up on this as well it's very easy to to put bias onto data to be able hmm. to um, feed your agenda um in in any way so it 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 is easy to manipulate it i think with um with this employee experience tool that um, shape global have got it looks at i think about 12 different areas and looking at um so within organizations he also talked about banding of organizations so the the senior exec team um the the managers and then employees so even at just in those three you get that different view and you need that whole holistic view of different perceptions to be able to then feed into the work that you're going to do within the HR space. Without data, you, you have good in, intentions and you may go with, uh, with common trends, but you're not really going to be able to achieve or even measure what you're achieving if you haven't got that mm. data as a baseline. So data is really important, but it's not just about getting any data. It's the right kind of data to be able to um, answer the question that you want to put forward, to be able to feed into the work that you need to do and find that um, find that improvement. So if it is an employee experience, then the data that you, you need is about those areas that are affecting the employee and experience is now becoming quite it is a buzzword but it, I think it's it's a change in how HR are moving and the only way to understand individuals experience is to gather the data but in the right way and then using it the right way yeah and uh, I think also when it comes to data often when you know there's two different ways of looking at data one is um, looking back at what's happened in the past. But I think when data becomes really powerful is when we can start to think about how um, mm. things are going to, how this data is going to impact us in the future. So again, I, because I work in reward, if I use that example, the way that we often pay people 
uh, and we say we want to pay for performance. And what we do is we look at how somebody has done over the last 12 months and say um, that you had an exceptional year. We're going to give you a 20% pay rise. So we're looking at the past to pay somebody for the future. Mm-hmm. And that may just be an exceptional year. It could be that, um, you know, there were some circumstances. So what we really, when I think about that example and pay, what we really should be doing is getting a better insight into does that past performance really mean that somebody's going to continue to perform well in the future because they're developing their skills or it could just be they were lucky to get some few leads coming into or them they, and they had an amazing sales goal if they're aiming yeah. for that goal to get that bonus that they've got the bonus and that may be enough for them yeah and 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 so when i was speaking to ali i think the um what i found so his experience was blood diagnosis, which I mm. didn't really know what it was, but it was looking at analyzing blood to see what sort of diseases might be, um, uh, you know, developing in the future. Yeah. 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 And, and so it's using employee data in the same way to say, let's look at the data now to predict how our retention and how our, mm. um, uh, reward and recognition might be in the future and our engagement. And I think that's maybe the shift that we need to make is not just focus on having data, but seeing how that data is going to predict the future. Yeah, and I think it's what happens next too. So, so with with Shape Global, they they run this um, survey using. I don't think it's just a survey. I think there's there's lots of other things that they do, but mm. they have this toolbox and they they conduct this um, this service to get all of the data. But then what? So that data, it may be okay. We have this data, so the prediction could be. If we have this data and we do nothing now, we may have a higher turnover within the next nine to 12 months because we, ha- we aren't making any changes in the reward area or we aren't, we aren't making any changes in flexibility. Uh, or it may be that the exit data is showing us that people are leaving more because of um, lack of flexibility. So is what do we do with that data then? So is it um, that we're getting a baseline from all of this to understand and predict what's going to happen with these employees within this organization in the future so that then we can look at how can, how can we make those changes? So if it's a negative, how can we prevent this high turnover that's going to come in the next six to nine months? Or how can we increase employee experience? What areas, do, where are the hotspot areas? Where do we need to focus now within the next few months? Where do we need to focus in the medium term and the long term to improve employee experience? And I, I think this prediction tool showing um, where the, the hotspots are and um, where um, they are performing well. So they also spoke about um, struggling, striving and flourishing. Mm. Um, and I think so. There's a, the ultimate aim is to is to flourish. But just because you're struggling, it doesn't mean everything's wrong there, or it's a bad manager, or things going wrong there. There could be lots of different um, implications into that data. So it's understanding what's fed into that. It could be that it's a brand new team, or they've had high turnover, or the the budget's being cut for any reason, and that's why that becomes. 
um, a, a hot spot area. Um, so it's understanding everything around it as well, rather than it just being numbers on a page. Yeah, and um, I think the um, that was a very interesting observation for me as well. It was around that struggling, striving, flourishing, and how you can have people at the top of the organization that might be uh, striving or flourishing mm -hmm. and the bottom of the organization, but it's the managers in the middle that were really struggling. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, is that something that you have come across in any of your previous roles and oh. in your experience? What was, what do you think is the key reason that that middle management um, layer is really struggling? It, it, it's 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 very very common in any kind of sector, and most managers are um, are accidental managers. And I can't even remember who was the first person to coin that phrase, but they are accidental managers. They're really good at their job. So you may have somebody who's a really good analyst within your organisation, and then they they're promoted because of their skill set. They've been there a long time. They understand the organisation. They understand the purpose and where it's going doesn't mean that they're a great manager doesn't even mean that they're a good manager so but that's not necessarily their fault we're not expecting um, great employees to go out and learn how to become good leaders so that they can then promote and and go up another rung in the ladder as organizations we need to look at how we're going to um be able to provide this pipeline of aspiring managers what do we need to do is it do we wait until we're ready to promote somebody get them in the role see where their strengths and weaknesses are and then give them all the key tools and skills around it or do we try to i mean one of the great things um, as an individual is if you if you strive to be better and, and work outside of the parameters of your role, you're stretching yourself. Now, I, I think everybody should do that in any role. You should always stretch yourself, but not everybody's um, in the right place to do that. Um, but before you become a manager, you should learn those skills. Organizations should, um, should wrap around individuals. It may be that they don't want to be, um, become a people manager and that's fine but it doesn't mean to say that leadership skills will be lost on them everybody within an organization is a leader in some respect because it also helps them to have those conversations that you were talking about with your team that they can back up with either reasoning or data and giving them leadership skills can support them to then become people managers but that's the biggest issue is um, lack of understanding of what a people manager is which is huge. It's not just about managing sickness or doing return to work interviews or getting your team together, and making sure the mandatory training's done. It's having that emotional intelligence. It's having that compassion. It's having that understanding um, when things go wrong. Okay, it's gone wrong. What have we learned from it, and how can we use that learning to then move forward? That's a skill that you need to learn. It's a skill that everybody needs to learn. But as organisations, as as leaderships, we need to be able to um, support all people within organisations to learn those skills, even if they don't um, stay with the organisation they're in and they go off somewhere else. Was it Richard Branson who said we should train people to be really good at their 
jobs so that they can leave, but we should treat them so good that they don't want to leave. And that's what we should do with managers rather than putting them in a position where they're going to fail. And that's where they're struggling. Um, and then you have that trickle down effect to their teams where they then start to feed on that negativity and um, probably don't understand. So the psychological safety then starts to erode and going upwards, they're not getting the targets, they're not getting the information they want, high levels of turnover. So it's what's going on with you. Um, and it's it's coming from both sides for those middle managers and uh, they need more support than they're actually getting. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I like that. I also remember uh, a similar quote, which <laughs> I can't remember who it was from, but it was uh, basically the CEO saying, well, um, what if I train all my managers and they just end up leaving? And the other sort of CFO maybe says, well, what if you don't train them and they end up staying? <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> so um, uh, I think that is a real challenge because uh, you don't really get much training for managers in most organizations. Um, and what happens is they avoid every, having any sort of difficult conversations with mm. people in their team, don't they? Um, particularly, again, going back to pay, you know, nobody, nobody likes having a pay conversation, um, no manager. And so they just always pass this on to HR. Um, one of the things that I found um, that I really liked about this data approach is going back to um, performance and, you know, I don't really like the term performance management and we mm. don't use that term. Um, I, like because... term. I like the term that you use in, um, in 3R strategy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Enabling excellence. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, again, when, when we give, uh, for example, an organization's performance ratings to say, oh, this person's a one, this is a two, three, um, it just assumes that we just put people in buckets and say, this mm -hmm. is down to you. But there are, again, the data then tells us that there are so many things that impact somebody's performance, whether it's their relationship with their line manager, the relationship with their colleagues, their work environment, whether they, you know, they're always feeling cold. They yeah. don't have the equipment that they need to, to carry out their role. So all of these different factors are impacting their performance. And so it may not be down to the individual. And then again, I think this is where, as an HR team, we can really benefit from the data to understand that, uh, firstly, I think we should all ditch performance ratings. <laughs> it's yes, a terrible absolutely. idea. And then recognize... Uh, we recently had a really interesting uh, webinar with one of our previous clients called AppCamp and they ditched their performance ratings. And Nick, who's their HR director, he was saying, we used to have these four performance ratings and we've ditched them because we recognize that we have 1,800 employees and we have 1,800 ratings because everyone is different and they're performing mm -hmm. at different levels and different environments. So... Um, yeah, I think the performance rating should be ditched, but then we need to use this data-led approach to really understand that if somebody is not performing well, I'm not saying it's there's never a performance issue. Yes, it could be a performance issue, but we also need to uh, try and understand all the other aspects that might be impacting them. Yeah, and poor performance can be dealt with um, it, with support by by providing the right support 
for the right amount of time to to help somebody get to the point where they need to get to um but understanding those external elements and there are things outside of work outside of the work environment that may also impact on somebody's performance so as a line manager it's about understanding the whole individual what is it that's impacting okay so you've got issues going on at home how long is that going to go on for do you think about four weeks okay what can we do to support you in that four week period let's not look at your performance let's see if we can take some of the weight off your shoulders for that four weeks what happens when when you do that you increase that loyalty you Mm. you increase your level of trust you increase the psychological safety because you've got that extra level of understanding that it's not just coming to work to do a, a gold standard job you've got everything else that's impacting as well um, but performance is performance management is horrible. The performance ratings mm. are horrible. It's if it, I mean if it's one out of four and I got a three, well, what do I need to do to get a four? What about everything that I've done in the last twelve months? I think I've done a four. Then you've got a negative experience there with your line manager about why you haven't got a four. But what if I get a four this year? What do I need to do extra? Do I need to remain stable? What am I going to do to maintain that? What Mm. if it drops to a three? What if there's some kind of um, element outside of my control as an employee from the organization? So budget cuts, for instance, so I'm not able to deliver as I did last year. Does that mean that I'm going to get a three this year when it's not really my fault? So looking looking at ratings is just, it's awful. It's about that relationship, communication, mm. transparency, making sure that we all understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it, and what help and support we need to get there. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm with you on um, on ratings. I think the I think mm. the rubbish. It's 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 too negative. The it's it's putting the onus on the employee to continue to strive because you're not good enough you need to make sure you hit these targets and only then when you reach that highest rating will will we say you're a great employee yeah and 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 even if you get to that it's creates that because you know when you have the performance ratings it's in most organizations anyway you're not going to put everyone at four Mm. at uh top performing right and so it's almost a culture of competition, right? Because if that person's a four, then I'm unlikely to be a four in the team because not everyone can be uh, exceptional. So it's creating that culture where instead of helping and supporting the team, we're getting people to compete with each other because they also recognize that if you are a four, then um, you're going to get a much higher pay rise or a bonus than me. And so if I maybe get a lead, I would rather not pass it on to my colleague yeah. so he does really well or she does really well and um, I lose out. Not a so environment, that is it. Yeah, exactly. I'm really glad that you were able to come on and I'm not the only geek <laughs> that is interested in the data, uh, that there are others uh, who are also interested in, in the data side of things. But since uh, you are here, I'm going to ask you a question about another episode as well where okay. we discussed probationary periods and i want to see what your views are about probationary periods and organizations okay so i feel very strongly 
on probationary periods um, okay. and I dislike them. And the reason I oh, dislike okay. them, <laughs> you you go through this whole experience for a candidate to welcome them into the organisation, for them to, you, you interview them. They jump through all these hoops, whether it's a one-stage, two-stage, three-stage, sometimes five-stage interviews to get the job. They walk in the door and the first thing they're told is you're on a six-month probationary period and after that you become a substantive mm -hmm. member of staff. Straight away, it's a negative. So they join in the organization and it's a negative that, okay, I've got to prove myself. Well, haven't they just proven themselves? Do you not think that hmm. they're worthy of that role after going through that interview process? Why are you employing them if you feel that they're not ready? Now, if you then look on the legalities of it, organisations will um, put, feel that they have to put probationary periods in place to protect them, that if this person isn't working out and they're a risk to my organisation, I can get them out of the door quickly. Anybody mm. who works in HR knows that there are ways for people to leave. You can get there are settlement agreements, there are all kinds of things like that. But what I hate most of all is somebody joins and you've got a week, a week's notice within your probationary period. So, well, that's fine. Okay, I give you a week's notice, but I, I need to have found a job. In that, six, in that first six months, if I feel that I'm not a great fit and the company is not a great fit for me and I don't want to work here, I'm not going to give them a notice straight away. So we're already in a false sense of a rela working relationship and I'm off looking for another job and trying to fit interviews around my lunch or taking a half day or some toil to try and, and get those interviews and successfully land a job. And then I give my week's notice. Well. For the organization, that's fine. It's a week's notice. For me, it's fine because I've got a job. But the other way around, I don't want to sign up to a role where an organization can tell me that they can get rid of me in a week. Mm. It's going to take me about two, three months to find another job. So I'm potentially looking at if I don't excel in everything that I'm doing, every minute that I'm in work, I'm potentially going to be out of work for two months and looking for another job. Um, so. I dislike them, Remy's, a lot. Okay, that's that's good because when you initially said I'm, I have strong views. I thought you were strongly in favour, and um, I'm I'm definitely um, not in favour of probationary periods. We have never had probationary periods at three hour strategy, um, and never will. No. <laughs> um, and I think that you know the the thing I often hear from HR professionals is, well, this is both for the employee and the employer. This is for the employee to say, is this the right role for me? And uh, for the employer to say the same thing. And I always think, you know, you just, you have to recognize the power dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just say that an organization has hundreds of employees, but for, for an individual, this is, this was what pays your mortgage. You might yeah. be moving to another part of the country to get a new job. You might be making significant changes in your lifestyle to get a new job with the commute and everything. And like you said, to then be given a week's notice and told, well, this is not working out. Uh, I mean, you might be told that, but um, those rights should be exactly the same uh, and you shouldn't have to be limited to a week. Uh, it would be like if you, you know, if you rented a new flat or a house and then the landlord says, well, I'll give you 
I'll give you the first three months and see if you, uh, if I like you living in this property, then you, you're welcome to stay. But if in those three months, I might give you a week to just vacate and move elsewhere. And it's, you know, there is the power dynamic, which we often forget as HR professionals and just equate it as, oh, but it's for both employee and employer. Yeah, that's, that's a good line, isn't it? And it's, yeah. it's a good excuse not to interview properly. It's a good interview. Mm. It's a good excuse not to onboard properly. If you're if you're investing in somebody to come into your organisation, then you want to make sure you take the right ta- the right amount of time to recruit the right person or the right people. And when you get them, you want to take the right amount of time to onboard them and welcome into the organisation, so they understand and they buy in at the early point and that's that's it you want them to understand your purpose right there and join you on your journey to reach that to continue on that journey with the purpose but if the first thing that they hear is you're on you're on six months probationary or three months probationary they're not going to even think about the purpose of the organization they're going to think about the end result of their job role and what they need to do they're going to look at the targets they're not going to look at how their role interacts with somebody else's role i remember um, a payroll manager once saying to me but it's all right if um, we give a week's notice because everybody should have at least a month's pay in their bank account as savings yeah, everybody's going to do that. Everybody's absolutely going to do that. And if they haven't eaten into it already through the pandemic by buying a new spa for the garden or decorating the house or buying our new office furniture, then they certainly will have eaten into it if they had it at all in um, a cost of living crisis where lots of people are struggling right now and looking for support from their employers rather than being told, prove yourself. And then we'll tell you whether you're worthy to stay within this organization. Yeah, no, definitely agree. So uh, I think that's a good way to uh, um, end this Reflections episode. Thanks a lot, Joe, for uh, uh, joining on this episode. And if there is anyone, any of our listeners that are interested in joining a Futures Reflections episode, please do email us, um, podcast at 3r-strategy.com and joe look forward to keep hearing your feedback and uh critique and everything else on our future episodes (laughs) thanks for me i look forward to listening to all of the episodes thank you